0: Welcome to the Wild and Sacred Podcast. I invited some of my colleagues to create one beautiful season of interviews where you're going to have everything from tarot, magic, pleasure, sexuality, empowerment, healing, and everything you can think of in this series of interviews. I really hope you enjoy them. Make sure that you check in the description for the links to get more information about my guests. And make sure you subscribe to my newsletter. Also, I am offering one free mini course on how to feel safe in your body. The link is in the comments. And I am offering as well a ritual called the Johnny Love Circle Every Full Moon where I hold a space for women to join, play, dance, heal, connect and be nourished by the magic and power and power of their sacred sexual energy. I hope you join us the link is in the description of this podcast and without more to say enjoy this conversation
1: hello everybody welcome to my podcast this is Asha, and today i have an amazing guest this is sandra she's a men's um, and men's sexuality coach and a female empowerment coach and we have been working together before we have a podcast together which is the Sex Talks podcast you really should check it out we have some amazing interviews uh, where we both have interviewed people and have been interviewed as well and now I have the the joy to have her here with me today welcome
2: Sandra hello Sasha thank you for having me on your wonderful wonderful podcast
1: <laughs> thank you so much for joining me and we were just having an amazing conversation before the <laughs> off oh, <script. laughs> Exactly, we were talking about so many things and I was like, oh, we really should record this <laughs> because, <laughs> because the idea originally was to talk about men, men's sexuality because that's, uh, some, that's one of Sandra's specialization. But uh, we started talking about uh, feminism and about pleasure and empowerment. And the one thing that I love the most about this conversation is um, that we we were connecting there on some visions and some turn-offs that we have had about the idea of pleasure and some rediscovery that we have done about what it means to be. In pleasure so thank you so much for, for being open to having this conversation in here for the podcast
2: thank you and thank you for starting it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, because one of the things that, um, that we have in common is that we we come from countries that have had uh, very specific situations like Me- Mexico for example which is where I come from um i am mexican and lebanese so my my parents my grandparents came from lebanon because they were starving after after the war in there after the second world war um there, there were consequences around the globe and they, they decided that they needed to explore um, another country so they are immigrants and then my mom my family here from mexico they have always been connected to politics and to the world like Uh, and realizing that we have lived in a very authoritarian country and that is just opening up that that we see saw as normal many things that are really not normal that are really human rights uh abuse abuses uh, has really shifted my perception of the world and that's your story as well uh, similar right it's not the same but it's a similar story you, you your country is also uh, a country that has a very hard story could you tell us a little bit about where you come from and, and how it's like
2: yeah so i come from bosnia herzegovina from from sorry i live in sarajevo i'm not originally from sarajevo but i, I live here now i've lived here for like 20 25 years And yeah, I mean, our, the story of our heritage, our country is one of constant, um, you know, we were a small, in the Middle Ages, you know, we had a small kingdom. And then for 500 years, we were under Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire, which had obviously an effect culturally, religiously, a lot of uh, locals converted to Islam. So I'm, I'm I'm a Muslim and then we, Austro-Hungarian, and then we had some kind of kingdom, and then we had communism. And then finally, for the first time in the 90s, we had democracy. So, and the the fall, the downfall of, of having democracy is that, our, you know, Yugoslavia fell apart, and there was a terrible war in which Bosnia had a very, um, you know, paid the, the biggest price of the fallout of, of Yugoslavia um, with a lot of civilian casualties Sarajevo the city in which I live in was surrounded it was the longest siege of any European city since the second world war um there were a lot of places in which there were a lot of massacres of civilians um and a a few places where like Srebrenica there was an international court that for the first time proclaimed a genocide, which is the first genocide also on the territory of of Europe after the Second World War, so a lot of, and of course there was all these, you know, ethnic groups because Bosnia is a multi-ethnic country, Mm -hmm. so we're a country in which we have Muslims, Orthodox Christians, Catholic Christians, we also had a very vibrant Jewish community, that, unfortunately, obviously, uh, um, because of the misfortune events of the Second World War and the Holocaust was greatly reduced, so we're a very mixed society naturally, so not not just um, because There was this dictator that kind of put us all together but we were we were kind of uh, authentically um very multi-ethnic and then that all fell apart so you know it was a very traumatic experience because the society that you lived in all of a sudden you realized you know wasn't safe and wasn't really what what you thought it thought it was so and then obviously then there's this post-conflict uh post-capitalist kind of very neoliberal Corrupt, nepotistic society. So, so it's obviously democracy in a very twisted, and capitalism in a very twisted, and very unhealthy, unhealthy way. So that's in a nutshell, kind of like the whole history of of, of my country. Totally, <laughs> and, and they are so similar
1: in many aspects. Like all this multiculturality that we experience in Mexico as well, and just like the bubble being busted, and and then seeing capitalism in a different yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then we are both um, uh, from very uh, conservative backgrounds, right? You being a Muslim, and I being raised as a Catholic, like very uh, a very Catholic uh, culture. Yeah. We we actually say guadalupanos which is more like like the cult is more to the Virgin of Guadalupe, and it's more like very um, machista, very misogynist in many aspects. So it's uh very groundbreaking that we are now working with sexuality in in <laughs> cultures where sexuality is such a taboo
2: yeah exactly exactly yeah i mean here also i think under communism i think not that it got liberated but it was a little little better but then i think there was this contraction right after the war and, and i think it was natural that people kind of went back to their to religion but in a much more conservative as you say way and and yeah I mean you know for instance my my grandmother was born in um I mean she died but she was she was born in the early 19th century like 1914 and she would wear you know those those um veils she would cover cover herself when she walked down the street and at the time that she was being educated there was this whole controversy as to whether or not uh, Muslim women should go to civic schools. They, it was considered that they should only go to Muslim religious schools. So, so there's this whole cultural context within my ethnic community that, that really put women you know, in a small place, and then you know, I mean, there was some liberation under communism. A lot of women um, that before the war, before the Second World War, were literate. So there was a lot of illiteracy, particularly among women, but among men as well. And then that changed under communism, and then that, that there was some progress in, in that in that regard. But yeah, definitely now it's it's a very um, conservative, very I think people are much more closed now than they were before because of the ethnic divisions and the consequences of the war. And yeah, sexuality is definitely still still a taboo now. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it takes so much courage to speak about sexuality in this, in this world. And, and then, um, I'm hearing how your grandmother had a struggle um, to study, right? Like it was still discussed in if she could study or not, uh, and sometimes I think about that, like how we take studies and, and going to school for granted, yeah. when it has been a struggle for generations that are so close to ours my mother got beaten because she wanted to go to school like she was literally beaten and she had to leave her home in order to be able to go to school
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: and and now we have people saying no school is the worst and they are like they are brainwashing you and you shouldn't like demonizing the schools and it's like it was such a battle to be able to get here and now you want us to not want
2: to be here yeah exactly. Yeah exactly because for instance it only recently dawned on me. I mean I'm, I I and my my cousin are were the first women of generations to have a higher higher education so you know my my mother had a high school education uh, my grandmother's very small or very little almost no no education and i don't even i can't even imagine what education maybe they had some religious education but i don't think they had any civic types of formal education so so when you think about that it's it's really mind-boggling you know how how far you've progressed and as you say you sh- shouldn't be taken for granted because that's not that far away you know it's not like hundreds of years past, it's only a couple of generations behind you that, that you know, you have to come to this circumstance that, that you can have education and educate yourself and be independent financially and be, you know, independent to, to not be dependent on male relatives or husbands for your existence.
1: Because that's the background of not letting women study. That's the real purpose, right? If, if women uh-huh. study, they are going to want to be independent and they didn't want women to be independent. So yeah. that's where it all comes from. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly, yeah.
1: <laughs> so sometimes it's like ironic seeing the things that people are complaining about in, in I don't know, for example, in the USA or, or specifically, uh, when it has been a struggle in other parts of the world that, is, that keeps going. Like Malala was shot just a couple of years ago. Like, five ten years ago because she yeah. wanted to study.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you know, sometimes I think it's also taking for granted how difficult social changes are. Because you know, a lot of a lot of countries in the in the West, I mean, with the exception of obviously world wars and stuff like that, they I mean they had at least some continuity of democracy and and you know some type of democratization of their you know governments and so forth and so on. So, so sometimes they forget how long it takes for these types of social changes to happen, you know. And, and sometimes I think there's this kind of perception. Well, you know, these countries either they don't understand what democracy is or you know they're not enlightened enough or so forth and so on but they forget that all of these countries like my country were very young democracies i mean we we only voted for the first time in the 90s that's the first time we ever we ever got the the chance to to vote in a democratic election so you know it takes it takes time for for a society to build and for this kind of uh for these things to become normal and and to to be taken for granted because because it does take time for social change to happen Yeah, totally. And then uh, in countries that are so um, not heterogeneous,
1: right? Like, uh, how each country has a different a different pace, uh, when it comes to social uh, rights to civil rights. And then we see the industry where we are at, we see this idea of pleasure, based on the eyes of a culture that has like such dif- a different history like such yeah. different standards like and that that is what has been like challenging for so many for so many of us and that's what what we were talking about uh, some minutes ago how um it was challenging to see pleasure um, coaches uh, that are hyper capitalistic that are showing pleasure as uh, super expensive clothes, super expensive meals, champagne, and stuff that is so distant from so many women, from so, especially from our countries. Like, it's lovely to see it, but it becomes a very, a very unrealistic expectation. Yeah. And, and that was a turn off. For, for both of us, we were just talking about how was, that was like difficult to digest.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I started doing kind of, because I do, you know, women's, women's empowerment, men's coaching, I mean, the kind of transmission for men's co- coaching came easier for me because it was about, um, I felt that, you know, in order for us as women to be sexually empowered, we need men that are also conscious in their sexuality. So it was easy for me. But the kind of women's empowerment from a place of pleasure and joy, Although I kind of understood it in my head, I was really, really resistant towards it a lot. Um, Although, you know, you know that as part of our coaching certification, we have to go through a lot of practices. And and I did. And a lot of things shifted for me and so forth and so on. But that kind of notion of pleasure was really it was difficult for me to absorb. Because, for instance, I mean, um, I know I mean, a lot of members of my family as a result of these things are unemployed. So, so they're basically surviving, um, and they're close family members, right? Um, I have all close family members who live on pensions that barely give them basic existence. existence. Um, and also in my history. So, you know, I've, I've had a, a, my grandmother, my my father's mother, they grew up in, in, in poverty, in, in absolute poverty. So they, my grandfather was killed in the Second World War. My grandmother was left with seven children in a small city without any education, and they just... Had to barely struggle for their life, and my father came to a big city literally with one shirt on his back, and then slowly through education and so forth and so on, you know, provided for himself a good life, life, and for his children. So this notion that I can somehow, you know, I keep thinking about her and her life, and the lives of so many women that I that I know that are like that, and it's not just her; a lot, a lot of people, because you know, as I just described, history wasn't really kind to us. We've had a lot of turbulences. Uh, a lot of, you know, like in the, even in the Second World War, a lot of hunger, a lot of, you know, all these things. So it's difficult within that context to say, well, yes, I'm entitled to my pleasure and pleasure is something. It was, I, I have to admit, it just felt like something that was only the privilege of um, the privilege of wet, w- wealthy Western countries and wealthy Western people that live there that can do that. That, that, w- that was what I felt deep inside of myself.
1: Yeah, and that is when um, when voices like ours started like shutting down, right? Like we started being more silent, until we we realized that that's not that's not the only way, right? Like this this capitalized idea of pleasure is not necessarily. The only way to to live in your pleasure. And I love that you were just mentioning uh, the books that you have been reading that made you change that perception.
2: Yeah. So it's almost. and I'm, I feel a little ashamed of that, but it's only very recently that I and that I got into um, like um, Black American women feminist writing. So Audre Lorde, um, Adrienne Ree, um, Marie Brown. Um, I'm so bad with names. So because we didn't plan for this conversation, I don't have any notes, so I'm just kind of playing it but I remember. But it it, it really I started reading that the the, the book uh, Pleasure Activism, and then you know hearing their voices from their perspective. And their claim to the erotic, to the pleasure as a form of fight against racial oppression um, and and their right to exist within their bodies, their right to thrive within their bodies, not just survive, but to thrive mm-hmm. within their bodies. And that just does just... just gave me such relief because I then felt that that I had permission to within my own you know historical context and so forth and so on reclaim pleasure as well so it gave a completely different perspective of it that it's not just about and there's nothing wrong with that but you know there's it's not just about spas and it's not just about massages and as you say kind of expensive clothing and stuff like which is all fine that's also beautiful but that's that's not the only expression of pleasure and, and particularly for women who have been through very traumatic experiences, who historically have very traumatic experiences, um, pleasure becomes something much more than just something that activates us internally, something that turns us on and something that you know rebuilds our, our lives. I think it becomes really this kind of um, reclaiming of our of the pleasure that was denied. To our foremothers, you know, the, the the all of the mothers and grandmothers that came that came uh, before us. So that's a, I think a huge, much more. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist in the in the West either, or with wealthy. You know, I'm I'm sure that's the same. You know, women have been oppressed sexually and and haven't had their rights and so forth and so on. And that's the same across the board. But I just felt within you know, my context, it just felt a little, little different. And I, and when I read them, I just felt like this, oh my God, I see the purpose now. And it's not just about, and for me, what was also important that, that, that it has to have this, this social transformational element of it, you know, that it's not just about, um, yeah, a capsule, purely capitalist viewpoint, but there's also this element of being transformed socially and, and having these kind of changes on a social, social level. I love that
1: so deeply and I relate so much to that because yeah it's like we started seeing just one side of it the side of the pleasure that is beautiful and, and as you just said there's nothing wrong with that if people can afford that it's beautiful that they do it there's no, no judgment in, in, their, in their pleasure it's great that they have pleasure in that way but, but since it felt so unapproachable and unreal it felt like it wasn't for everybody right like I felt like <laughs> like hey if I don't have so much money to spend in champagne and, masca- and macaroni, and macaroni you know like wow beautiful. but ma- no, it's not macaroni the French like if I don't have money to spend on that and if I don't have a young beautiful feet body to to have uh, to wear beautiful uh, clothes on, and then I don't belong to that world. I started yeah. feeling that way, and, and that shut me down for a long yeah. time, yeah. Um, because I felt like that was not my world, because I didn't have what it takes, because the women that you see enjoying that life kind of look the same, yeah. no? But at least where my eyes were focused on. Yeah. Uh, and then it was a huge, uh, um, mind-blowing, uh, gaze opener. When I started seeing wh- that pleasure was uh, a way of reclaiming our right to exist, and that that was uh, mind blowing for me because I started seeing the women of color, which is Mexican women, Latina women, uh, women uh, African African women, like um, right in. in South Africa doing the same, reclaiming their beautiful, uh, their beautiful heritage, and uh, black women in, in the USA. And we just started seeing more women that had always been there, yeah. but we hadn't paid attention to because mainstream uh, pays more attention to these other normalized. Uh, whiter and more uh, wealthy sense of pleasure so it wasn't like we like we discovered that oh women of color can have pleasure too or women that are not wealthy or that are not young can have pleasure too it was like realizing that we have always been there Mm -hmm. and we are reclaiming our voices to speak louder yeah because pleasure is not about spending money but it's about standing in our bodies with a sense of pride and saying i belong i have a right to exist i have a right to enjoy life like i'm not just going to survive i'm going to make it worth my time i'm going to enjoy it, to savior it to to taste every moment of it and that's the best revenge we can have on oppression yeah. Right, like like we have been oppressed as women and then as as people from different countries and cultures, and it's a reclamation of our right to occupy our space and our bodies.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and. For instance, while you're talking the things that kind of, a lot of things kind of came to mind, so I keep forgetting, my, but kind of like, because it's a topic that you can like, you can talk on for, for like days and days. So for instance, you know, in, in, in my country as, as like a new, new democracy, the, the thing about capitalist values is that it's so distorted that it, 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 we're losing the, you know, the true values of, 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 what we're supposed to be so so now it's all about consumerism and that's your reflection of of your success there's nothing underneath that so naturally if you're looking towards something more any expression of consumerism just makes you feel avert you know allergic to it and and you have an aversion to it because you know it's very superficial it's it's putting value on things that don't really uh you know don't value true true things in life you know like love connection authenticity and so forth and so on so that's one of the you know some bad sides of you know capitalism and new democracies is that it has a different it's not about this pursuit of happiness it's not about you getting your dreams it's about being a part of an elite and having you know access to resources because you're a part of a, an elite and that's how you get your wealth that's basically the, how the capitalist structures functions in countries like 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 mine and yeah and, and 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 as as for when you were mentioning and that was one of the things for me also because you know, countries like mine were very people are very good at surviving that because that's what we're taught to do. You know, you, you have to survive. But thriving is something that we're not very, very good at. And we don't really and there is this conception. I mean, even here when you talk about, you know, political reform or social reform, the thing is, well, you know, we're not the West. We can't have a developed economy. We can't have a society without corruption. So basically what you're telling yourself, you're not worthy. Of living or being in a context in which you thrive and which you can kind of actually create beautiful and wonderful things, because you're just not a part of that group of of countries, of people, or whatever, or whatever that is. So that yeah, that was what in line with what you were mentioning about pleasure as a form of reclaiming um, our right to 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 thrive actually within our context, within our history, within our skin color, depending on who we're talking about and so forth. Yeah.
1: The, the- gave me chills in my heart. <laughs> because it's so true, uh, countries like ours, we're so good at survival. We Sometimes, um, the, the other day somebody was telling me, hey, how do you manage to get this and this and this happening to you? And you still managed to make it and to keep moving and to keep going. And, and it was like, "Because I don't have an option. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> we we learn in a very young age that we don't have an option that we either we keep moving or we die, so we yeah. have to keep moving so yeah. um uh, it's like our very basic survival instinct is to keep moving to keep yeah. going just a little bit just as much as we have to um uh, so this this person was telling me something like uh we were talking about um, privilege like Mm -hmm. how it's a privilege to um, to focus on on thrive on thriving Um, i'm trying to recall the conversation uh, exactly but it was something like uh, it's a privilege maybe to think that you can keep moving when you have something very hard and difficult happening to you and i Mm -hmm. said no it's a privilege to think that you can stay still yeah. Because we people that don't have that privilege, we know that we have to keep moving. Yeah. Our, it would be a privilege for us to stay frozen for too long. We know yeah. we have to keep going. We know that we have to survive. So the, the sense of survival is deeply rooted in us, but it's hardly
2: ever connected to pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, no, because it's it's about sacrifice, you know, sacrifice towards your family, towards your parents, towards your children. And that's, you know, and it is, I mean, a lot of, and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about, you know, women in our past, our grandmothers, our grandmothers, grandmothers, and all of these things. And in most cases, you know, uh, some of them maybe were a little more wealthy than others, so they can maybe have maybe a better lifestyle, but all in general, they were mostly about just bare survival and, and taking everything on themselves to put, you know, food on the table to, to get the kids, you know, educated, you know, get kids to cook school and, and with, they could do that and so forth and so on. So yeah, it's, it's about, um, and then, you know, at, at some point people, and it's difficult to persuade people, well, you know, there's something other than survival in life because, you know, we have very recent memory of the war. So when your are of threshold of, of what a beautiful life is, is that it's not war, then, you know, you can't really imagine anything other than, than a place in which there aren't bullets around you or, or things falling down or in which you're not suffering or there isn't food in the stores and so, or something like that. So, so it's, it's difficult for people to move away and say, well, it's not enough that, it's re- that you're just living in peace, and that you're not being constantly under attack you need to have have more from life and more isn't necessarily in a material sense which is needed okay you need a roof above your head you need you need food and so forth and so on but it's also other things that need to fulfill you you know some purpose in life some that you have to change that you have to um be in a constant state of change and another writer that i, I i've um wanting to read, which is also an, 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 a Black writer, a Black woman, African-American woman, which is uh, Octavia Butler. She wrote, you know, science fiction um, books, which I've had on my Kindle for ages, but I haven't got around to to, um, to actually read it. Um, and one of the things that she, she's, one of her statements is, change is God. So, so la- the purpose of life is around evolution and changing yourself constantly. And getting and and getting and for me that means actually redoing some of the patterns of the past of of, the, of history that you know was left behind us in order to move forward to have a different place for our children and their children's children.
0: I love that, and I notice how eye opening and
1: mind blowing it is to read authors that have been oppressed from from places from from uh, from. Cultural statuses that have suffered op- oppression, because that's where real mind um, mind-blowing awareness comes. Uh, w- what I could like, what I could get from our um, exchange, one of the things, is that when we just saw the white perception, the white, uh, the white and wealthy uh, version of pleasure it was very limiting and excluding, because we don't all have that experience. But when we see that women that have suffered oppression have a voice and something important to say about this, that's when we can actually relate and, and find the real root death, original reason yeah. Uh, that can be diluted by the by the perception of mainstream pleasure, uh, the pleasure industry. But when we see the, the original fund, the foundation of this, we can actually do things the way it, they were intended to, which was learn how to live, to live, not just to survive. Yeah. Uh, and that makes me think a lot of something that totally shifted my mind was that, at some point my husband used to refer to issues like like a test like oh the universe is testing me or i am being tested i I have to overcome this challenge this test it was in his mind his narrative was always like a trial like if there was a big force putting him on a trial to make sure that he deserved it that Mm -hmm. he had to work hard to earn it and it all changed when I started coming with the narrative of, hey, what if we don't have to prove anything to anybody? Yeah. What if there are no trials? What if we can choose to live from pleasure? Yeah. What if we can just start enjoying and living a more fulfilled uh, version of this? And that, that shifted the narrative in my home because it went from the idea of the trial, and the, and the challenge and the struggle, and that it's a very patriarchal way of living. It, it, it actually is literally imposed by the patriarchal systems. Um, I, I just read about it in the book, you really have to read as well, it's called When God Was a Woman. It's so amazing, and, and it explains how we went from a very uh, matriarchal way of living and enjoying life, like the, the real, original essence of uh, life was about enjoying it and and having pleasure and connecting with life and the circles of life and then patriarchal cultures started imposing the path of the blood and the struggle and the effort and you have to earn your place in the the, in the eyes of god and and how that has been oppressing towards our connection to
2: to life itself Mm Yeah. 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 I mean, exactly. So, I mean, the only thing when you're saying, obviously, I mean, I have to state the obvious. I, I am a white European, but I, I, I kind of, my country is kind of like the back doors of Europe. <laughs> so we're not like, you <laughs> know, story but that's why I, I feel deeply, you know, I, I, mean, I, obviously I sympathize and I understand, you know, um, I mean, I, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's a completely different lived experience, but I can sympathize with the voices that feel you know that have a different or outside perspective from from what could be me a me majority because in many ways, even though I am a white European and you know I'm westernized in many ways I do feel an outsider to that world you know for the i mean just by the stupid fact that you know in most countries that I have to travel to, I have to have a visa, so you know I have to prove, you know, that I'm going to come back to my country, that I have to show my bank account, that, you know, I don't have any intention to immigrate and stay there, that I don't have any intention to do any criminal activities, just for the sake that my passport is of a country that, you know, doesn't have international standing, or doesn't have any economic or political power, and so forth and so on. So that, you know, even that simple administrative thing sends this message, well, you're not really a part of this wonderful developed developed world so I can really relate to this kind of more outsider perspective that that a lot of these beautiful voices and, and women offer and I mean, if uh, and it's and and I say I I feel ashamed that that it's only now that I'm I, I'm kind of discovering these things, but I guess things you know if we believe they happen for a reason, they're happening now, and I'm truly grateful you know for them to, to um, have shared and given these these voices and 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 despite all of that they've been through you know this horrific racial oppression that uh, that's been generational for African American women to find the inner strength. And to find inner resilience to, to reclaim themselves and to establish themselves as, as true, full human beings that can thrive and live from a place of the erotic, of the pleasure. And, and for that to be an engine for further activism and change uh, uh, and changing of the world. I think that's just it's, it's a gift that, that I think we all have to deeply, deeply appreciate and be deeply, deeply grateful for.
1: And also, that... Uh, Privilege is relative, uh, in the sense that uh, it depends on the... We, we cannot say, oh, all of these group of people are privileged, because it, it is always relative. Uh, yeah. In a group of white people, uh, women have less privilege than men. In, yeah. a group of, uh, in the group of Europe, uh, people from your country have less privilege than people from uh, you, uh, from the USA, from the, from the UK, sorry. Or from, yeah. or from paris it's like privilege is always relative uh, even i as a mexican in a group of what is the whole of america like uh, canada america i have less privilege than the people in canada or the usa but i have yeah. more privilege than the people in guatemala or than yeah. the people the indigenous people in my own country so it's it's always ever changing right like yeah. a privilege is a very a life uh, entity that changes according to the place and the situation that we are living
2: yeah 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 and it's very important i think and that's one of the things that also came to my mind that yes now the focus is on you know uh, white privilege on on rela- you know relationships between races particularly in, in the US but as you say i mean I live in a in a you know European country that that has privilege over some other countries when it comes to global warming. So the effects that we're feeling, although we're having some effects, isn't as devastating as maybe in in India, Bangladesh, or some other countries that are that are really at the forefront of, of, of or some islands within the Pacific or or you know the, the Arctic Circle and so forth and so on. So. I have a geopolitical geo kind of geographic privilege and and, and (laughs) that we don't have issues as of yet with water, with clean water, not so much with clean air. So, so those are those things as well. So I think it's just about, um, I think the thing about privilege is, is understanding that there's no need to feel guilt around it. It's just an acknowledgement of who you are in a particular context and recognizing within that context where you do have positions of privilege and where you, where you don't. And to always be aware of that when you speak of your lived experiences that you can say, well, you know, obviously my lived experience isn't representative of this whole this whole group because there might be a group of people that I'm not representing or that I can't speak for because I don't have that lived experience and so forth and so on. I mean, I feel privileged in my own country for the fact that I have a job, I you know have a stable income, I'm able to afford to start a coaching business, which I realize is a privilege for a lot of other, other people that don't have, that aren't in that position in my country.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I like the, the approach of Fresma, um, the author of, of um, My Grandmother's Hands, that says, he instead of using privilege, he started using the word advantage. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I think it's so important because, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I have the advantage of speaking English and, and having a business uh, abroad, my own, my own location, so I can connect with people from all over the world having an education that many of my co-nationals don't get to have, or having um, even having the life experience of uh, seeing sexuality as something more natural. When I have people with my same uh, advantage or even higher advantage that are still paralyzed at the idea of sexuality. So it's it's always a very um, living uh, organically, uh, mutating uh, energy, this disadvantage situation, and as you say, it's not about guilt; it's about understanding where you come from. I love that that approach that you just mentioned.
2: Yeah, because I mean, that well, that was kind of my my thing because I mean, I had the advantage of of. I lived in the U.S. as a young child, that's why I, I'm fluent in in English. So, and that, and after the war, what what that enabled me is to have a good job, because at the time there was a lot of foreigners, so translation services were very needed. So, and for a long time, that was something that was a deep source of guilt for me and shame, even though I wasn't, I was earning my, my you know, I wasn't stealing, I wasn't doing any criminal activity. It was perfectly honest work. But but the fact that I had something that other people didn't have, or had to work very 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 hard to get made me feel bad about what I was doing. And that was something that I, it took me a very long time to overcome and to realize, you know, it's not about, it, it, it actually puts me in a, in a position where somehow I feel that if anyone is to move things forward, either through consciousness or sexuality, it should be someone like me because I, I've, I've had to overcome maybe less obstacles than someone else to come to the place. So I, I have a sense of, Maybe duty is maybe too hard a word, but kind of like I don't know, uh, like, like uh, uh, somehow to, to pay off for for this advantage that I've been given, I should contribute even more and not just be satisfied with my kind of comfort zone and and having my my basic needs met, but actually moving forward and, and doing additional things that might help other people and and this is just one of the avenues that that I decided to do. Totally, I love that. Yes, using this
1: advantage to create a, a change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and that's why I wanted this conversation to take place, because uh, when, when we started talking about this, it was like we need to speak about it, because there, I'm sure there are other people that see these images of pleasure um, and don't relate, and that they need to hear from women that come from a background that is maybe more similar to theirs, that they can also choose pleasure because pleasure is activism, pleasure, pleasure really is activism.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely, it definitely is, and I think that's just a really strong, strong message, and um, yeah, it's about what you were saying, it's about recognizing this kind of connection and joy in, in life, and that... In that in and of itself is a huge shift because you're basically, as, as you say, you're, you're, you're breaking down the patriarchal values. You're, for me, you're also breaking down capitalists. Not that I have anything against capitalists, but the way that capitalism currently functions is not in service of people, is not in service of the planet. So it has to, it, the, the kind of just the way that it functions just has to change. And by doing that, you're just kind of breaking down those 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 things that have cemented us in these positions where we're shut down, where we're basically disconnected from each other. And, you know, a lot of people said, well, you know, as a result of COVID, we're not connected. Well, we weren't connected even before COVID. I mean, the the biggest killer on a global level was loneliness. People were committing suicide on massive rates in a a lot of countries and across the board because they didn't have a sense of community. They didn't have a sense of connection. uh, They felt isolated one from the other. So the the virus, I mean, if anything, the virus reminded us of, of the value of how important that human contact is, something that we've been taking so much for granted. <laughs> totally, totally,
1: totally. Oh, we, we could just go on and on. But I really that want to great. thank you for this amazing conversation. And I want to invite people to check out your, uh, well, your social media, but your articles. She has an amazing article uh, that it's on Medium and it's on Elephant Journal as well. Uh, the Goodman Project. The Goodman Project. Thank you. Uh, about post-truth, uh, and I love it because it's an article when she speaks about um, these these conspiracy theories that just totally got out of control and how they can have a very damaging effect on everything, on politics, on how we perceive the world.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I have to thank you and uh, women from our sisterhood who encouraged me to, to trust my voice and that I had an ad that I had something to say. And yeah, and you know, it's, 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 it's just an invitation. I think that's something that we also, that Nika Carlo, when we had our kind of racism um, kind of um, trainings, she she said something that was, I think, beautiful, you know, it's not about calling people out, it's about calling people in. And I think through that article, all I just wanted was to invite people to, and I mean, it's okay. I understand why people don't trust the media. They don't trust government. They don't trust scientific institutions. They don't trust the pharmaceutical industry. I get all that. I understand why. And I live in a country in which I don't trust institutions either. I know what that is. <laughs> but I think my what I wanted to do is just invite people to just listen to the lived experience of human beings. That's all. You know, you don't have to listen. Just, just listen to the people that are fighting for racial, social, you know, equality that are fighting against this virus and all just just listen to them and what they have to say and then base your your conclusions based on that rather than whatever it is that, that, that the people are kind of basing their conclusions on. yes
1: please that's so important <laughs> listening to each other like yeah i think that would totally change the world learning to listen to one another because when people is telling you they are in pain believe that they are in pain like people don't have a reason to invent, to make these things up. Yeah. If they are telling you that they are having a very unfair uh, disadvantage in their way in which they are perceived by their nation, by their culture. Believe them. Just yeah. believe in the, in the life experience of the people. Yeah. I love them. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. It
2: was such a delight you're welcome totally unplanned and i i want to apologize in advance if i you know mis mispronounced anything or said anything because it came totally from my head and next time if we talk about it, i'll prepare better
1: yes this is the best kind of conversation like, yeah. like script exactly.
2: exactly beautiful thank you so much thank you thank you so much thank you to you too